This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency designed Future Formula, a personalized anti-aging formula prescribed by a dermatology provider to treat fine lines, wrinkles, dark spots, and more. Agency has clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than over-the-counter retinol. Future Formula by Agency. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor and this is the Radio Times podcast. Every week I sit down with a celebrity guest from the world of TV or film to talk about their lives both on and off screen. To my fellow TV enthusiasts, I hope you enjoy listening. On this week's episode of the Radio Times podcast is the dancer and head judge on BBC One's Strictly Come Dancing. It is the wonderful Shirley Ballas. Born and raised in Merseyside, she grew up with her mother and brother on a council estate and found dance at the age of seven when a tune caught her ear. She worked her way to the top of the dancing world and has plenty of stories to tell of her journey. In this episode, we talk about everything from the phone call that changed her life but ended her engagement to how she was almost bullied out of the dance industry but instead landed the Strictly gig. Shirley, welcome to the Radio Times podcast. I have to tell you, I've been so excited to do this interview because you come across as just this overwhelmingly warm and articulate presence. Oh, that's very sweet. I'm very delighted always to do something for the Radio Times, for sure. Let's start off with what is the view from your sofa? Talk me through your living room setup. Well, first of all, we have a nice L-shaped sofa. Um, and then one big red chair. But my mum snuggles down in that sofa every day to watch the old Coronation Streets and the new Coronation Streets at 100 decibels. And then she'll forget that telly's on and she'll go upstairs and put a bedroom telly on and then in my room and put that telly on. And before you know, we've got tellies galore in our house. But the living room is kind of cosy. My mum and I like it. We have lots of photographs of family. My brother's urn is there. So he's always not too far away, you know, so a nice little coffee table with some books on. And it's it's rather minimalistic, actually. Nice. What do you enjoy watching on television? Well, I don't have a choice with the Coronation Street. So my mother's, she hogs first. But we love <laughs> things like Vera. I have to say, I find fascinating shows like anything to do with the prison 
how the prison system works, you know, people who've got a story to tell, people who have remorse. I like things like that, murder mysteries, yeah. things, anything like that. But we love a bit of era. Do you think you're quite good if you're watching uh, murder mysteries? Do you think you're quite good at guessing who who's committed the murder? 100%. 100%. <laughs> I don't know why I thought you'd be good at it. Oh, I'm I'm delving in at the beginning. My mum and I are delving in to see who can get it first, you know. No, normally I can get it, yes. And morse, we love a bit of morse. Yeah. Let's take it back because I think it's quite sweet that you still watch TV with your mum. So you grew up in Merseyside. You lived with your brother and your mother. What's your first TV memory and, and was TV watching kind of a family affair? Again, it was always Coronation Street, Emmerdale Farm, you know, all those, you come in from school and they were the ones that were going on at the time. I mean, the Coronation theme song is a bit like the Strictly theme song. It's iconic. Doesn't matter where you are, everybody mm. knows that song. And then back, back then there was a few more game shows, wasn't there? Huey Green, when all the stuff used to come down the conveyor belt and you had to guess what was that. And a few, um, Opportunity Knocks was another show that was on back then. So, I mean, we used to sit down as a family and watch menial TV, I guess is what you call it, you know. Back then yeah. they didn't have all that what that they've got today, you know, with real life people. I love anything to do with Stacey Dooley. I love her work. She goes out and it's real. So I tend to have a little bit more yeah. like a real thing. So in terms of how your view from your sofa has changed, I always think it's a really interesting thing to reflect with my guests. How does your sofa view now differ from that of your childhood? I grew up on a council estate in a council house, in a council flat. So, of course, you know, very different, completely different. I mean, it was always clean and tidy, but it was small, you know, and now we have a lot more space. You know, we can I can come in my office with you while my mother's downstairs or in a room or around about. So it's it's quite a different view years of hard work to get here but uh, you know yes can we talk a little bit about what you were like as a child and where dance came in because i love the the way that you say dance found you music found me so i you know was at the church hall with the brownies doing cpr on the dummies when i could hear music from next door and then i trudled my way over there there was this door with a round glass piece of glass, I hoisted myself up and I could see people moving. I didn't really know what they were doing, but I knocked on the door and then a gentleman whose name was Vic Knox came and I said, you know, what are they doing? It happened to be the waltz to Moon River. That was the first, you know, introduction that I had. And he said, well, we've got children's classes starting on Saturday, but they were 15 pence for the class. And back then that was a lot of money. And I lived quite a long way from the church by foot because we didn't do buses then. We walked everywhere. And, uh, I went home and I said to my mum about it and she said, well, let's try one. You know, I can pull it together for you this week. But I think she really realised how much I loved it. And as it went on and we had to have a pair of shoes and then, you know, you've got to have the 15p and then you need the private lesson and the dresses. And her friends used to tell her that she was wasting her time, wasting her money. I'd never get off the housing estate. I, it's just pure waste of money. But I think when I wrote my autobiography behind the sequins, the one line in the whole book that is precious to me is she said, well, I guess I backed the right horse. So as long as I walked in the rain and the, you know, the sun and the snow and all that, and she saw my dedication and the fact that I took care of those shoes until they were well not fitting my feet, uh, she thought she would carry on and do the best she could. So she had many jobs to keep me in dancing. And that's why it's such 
glory and so beautiful and powerful in another way that I can actually take care of her now. You know, we live together and I treasure every memory. Nobody's as important as my mom. Nobody, no boyfriend, no friend. Nobody is as important as my mother because I can never, ever repay her for what she's done for me. Not in a gift, not in anything at all. And she's very simple, my mum. We go out for a meal now and she'll say, oh, Shirley, look at the bill, look at the bill. And I have to say to her, you know, don't need to look at the bill, mum. We can afford this nice dinner for two of us, you know. But uh, she's just from yeah. that era and uh, she's my sunshine. She's my everything. You've described in the past how she just isn't a woman of complaints. You know, she doesn't have anything to complain about she's always found positive in in life and I wonder if that self-belief you know it sounds like she really believed in you from the off and you've also said about your brother who used to say to you you know when you were a child you are going to be a dancer you know you're going to do it do you think that having that self-belief informed who you were and and almost gave you that self-confidence to go forward and do it well, my mum facilitated the passage with the money from all her jobs that she did. And my brother was the one who gave me the confidence and wouldn't let me hang out on a street corner. If I was standing on a street corner and I saw him down the road, I would leg it home because <laughs> he just had no problem doing the fatherly bit, even though we were only 18 months apart. So I think the team worked for me. You know, we all learn in different ways. I think that while my mother was out, she had late night jobs as well. My brother took care of me and wouldn't let me hang around the housing estates. He used to make me feel like I could do better. And my mum facilitated by having so many jobs. And she, and she always told me, she said, the minute you default, I'm done. So you have to keep showing me that you're working hard. And, and I did that. And I protected my shoes and I protected my dresses and I never had anything stolen as a child. I had one pair of shoes and I treasured them. They went everywhere. I was terrified to put them down in case they went missing. And that's from age seven, you know. So when you've only got one pair of shoes and you've only got enough for the dance class, you don't have enough for bus fare. There's no sweeties. Back then, you know, people used to give you threepence to go and get sweeties. There was no money for all of that. Everything. You made a choice. It was this or that. And I chose the dancing. It makes you sound very mature for your age as well. And and I guess that's what happens when you have a passion for something. You want to do everything you can to ensure that it stays in your life. I don't think maturity was it. I think it was street smart. You know, I think I learned mm. being on the Liso like worldly at a young age. You know, I mean, I remember the ice cream man coming and all the kids going to get an ice cream. We often didn't have the money to have an ice cream. But boy, when she had a little extra, we were the first one there when we used to get the different lemonades, you know, the what was it? Dandelion and burdock and the, you know, cream drink, things like that. So, you know, you, you just learn. I mean, there was a lot of bullying back then and um it was difficult to go from my grandparents' home to living on a housing estate. It, more difficult for my brother than for me, actually. He was very soft-natured, and I think I was a bit of a cow. I could stand up for myself a little bit. A little bit. I was bullied, and I was battered at many times. But, uh, you know, I like school dinners. They'd get at me. I would stand at the gate, and I'd say, well, you've had a cheese sandwich. I've had a two-course hot dinner. My brother was the opposite. He didn't want to be seen to be on welfare. I never had an issue with that at all. For me, it was just like, wow, look at this great country and what they're doing. I'm able to have a hot dinner and little little jars of milk in school. I don't know if you remember then in glass bottles. Well, you won't, you before your time. 
But, uh, you know, you got that every morning. So I, I never drank milk. I always gave it to the kid over the road who looked half starved. But, you know, yeah, those times, those times are memorable times for me. You have a confidence to you. And I think often people can take that as being thick skinned. But I wondered, you know, actually, when you were a child, if those comments ever came through or if there was anything that kind of got through that strength that you had as a child. I won't think I always had strength, but I had a mother that was thick skinned that I remember one parent saying to me, there was another girl in the studio that had, unfortunately, not great skin. It was really, really pocked. And this other mother said to me, that's how your face is going to look. You know, things like that, or they were cruel about the way you looked, or if you didn't have extra dresses, or you didn't have a, a transport means to get where you needed to go, and you had to go on the train. But my mother used to don't whine in your soup, find the solution. I don't want to hear it. You're not going to have skin like that, so we're not even going to talk about it for 20 minutes. You know, you just moved on. She's still the same now. I mean, if she died tomorrow, she'd say, so be it. It's my time. She wouldn't be the one sitting there whining, moaning and complaining. Even when she had a cancer and I was devastated. I can't, I cannot tell you. And I can still remember where I was the day she told me. It was very matter of fact for my mother. So I have colon cancer. I have to have an operation. They're going to see if they can get it all. And, and even after results, she wouldn't do chemo. And the doctor said, well, I suggest it. She said, well, I don't want to do it. And we're four years down the line now. And and she's glad she did it because she's a tiny dot of a thing, you know. So I think she taught me resilience. I am an overly sensitive person. My mother knows that. I'm overly sensitive. You know, like I was reading some remarks on Facebook today and things that people were saying. And, and then I have to take a step back and think it doesn't matter. Let it go, you know. Otherwise, I find myself sort of like get that protection skin on again you know Ooh, what are you saying about me then what are you saying about me you know that kind of thing so sometimes I just think now 63 come on Shirley let it go it's fine I know but it, it's easier said than done because you know if I if somebody says something horrible about my friend or my family or somebody that's close to me it's very easy for me to bat it away and say don't listen to them because I know that you're brilliant but when it's you on the receiving end it isn't always that easy I think the purpose from the beginning to where I am today is it's all what my mother really terms as it's experience. It's all experience. It mm. sets you up for where you are. You know, you, you you can sort of say to yourself, I give up, or you can say to yourself, I keep fighting. I mean, I went through two marriages and engagement, um, all sorts of different, lots of bullying. I mean, severe bullying from men at the top in my industry. And I'm still sitting, I'm still standing. You know, so I, I yeah. guess it depends again on the type of character and the human being that you are. I'm fortunate I always have someone to come home to and talk to with my mum, you know, so. But she don't she don't sit there and pat you on the back or anything like that. She's just, it is what it is. She calls it for what it is. You know, if you don't like it, if the kitchen's too hot, get out. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. 
This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. You shouldn't settle for just any old pair of leggings. You deserve something better, something designed with you in mind, like the new Inspire Leggings by Kalia, their most versatile collection yet, made for any workout. They're lightweight, buttery soft, breathable, and made with lycra adaptive fiber, which molds to your body for a barely there supportive fit. It's perfect for wherever your wellness routine takes you. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Another thing that uh, I found very interesting when doing my research was you left home pretty early and you go out and you compete and you have your first dance partner and then Nigel Tiffany and then you guys move to London and then in London you get a phone call. And I think it's really interesting because I had a guest recently say to me, I don't think any one phone call changes your life. But for this, it gave you an opportunity that perhaps did. Can you tell us what that phone call was? Well, first of all, I had a little girl partner. She was my first partner, Irene Hamilton, from around the corner. Then I had a little boy partner called David Fleet. And then I got with Nigel Tiffany. Fiance, we were going to get married. Lived with him from 14 with his family till we were 16. And I wanted to move to London. That was my dream. And I had a dance teacher called Nina Hunt. Nigel was at home that particular day doing the ironing. Nina called me at work. She said, are you happy being engaged? I said, I'm very happy being engaged. She said, do you want to get married and have babies? I said, oh, yes, one day, but I love my dancing. She said, well, I have a partner for you, Sammy Stockford, who's seventh in the professional ranks, and I think you should try with him. You are not going to make it in the Latin with the partner that you've got because he's a ballroom dancer. And then something in me overtook and I thought, oh my gosh, this is a chance of a lifetime. And I said to her, well, can I have a few hours to think about it? She said, you've got half an hour or some short amount of time. So I decided I would take at least the tryout. And I went home that night and I said, and she told me not to tell Nigel, but I went home and I told Nigel about the phone call and he wasn't happy. Anyway, that night we ended up, I don't know what, it was like shock tactics. He threw me out with all my plastic bags with my clothes in. And I had to find somewhere else to stay. And then, of course, it was just a mess. Everything was a mess. I hadn't tried out yet. But then when I went for the tryout, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. It was life changing. And it was everything I ever wanted to do as a Latin dancer. So, you know, I'm still very friendly with Nigel. He's my financial advisor, my very best friend. If something happened to me, he'd be responsible, making sure my son's taken care of, you know. So he was the right person at the wrong time. That's all I can say about Nigel. Wonderful. Mm. I have this um, thing and I don't, I'm, I'm hastening to say it's vanity, but I have a list of compliments in my head that I keep for if the self-esteem is ever having a rainy day. But I am slightly jealous of this one compliment, which is from your first, I think, first time dancing with Sammy. And he said to you, you feel like a Rolls Royce. He did. He just took hold of my hand, placed me one back step, one forward step. He says, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you come from, but you move into Manchester with me. You feel like a Rolls Royce and I've never felt anybody like that. And, um, and I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And then, of course, I moved with all my little black plastic bags back up to Manchester, which was closer to my mother in Wallasey, because from 14, I was flitting, trying to find where I could base myself living in, you know, flats full of roaches with smelly bins outside and things you know so I had a dream I had a vision and I just went with opportunities that I could I've always gone with opportunities as long as they don't hurt anybody else 
you know, so it's choices and decisions, not always of the choices and decisions I've made being the right ones for sure. But having said that, even leaving Sammy and going with Corky, I got my beautiful son. He's married to somebody else. He has a wonderful son. So what's right or wrong? Do you know what I mean? It's it's quite difficult. Yeah. The opportunity presents itself. You have two roads to choose from and you can pick either either road. I have a very, very wise younger sister who is um, older than her years, for sure. And she always says to me in moments where perhaps I'm whining about something not coming off or not getting an or not getting the opportunity I thought was right or, you know, like you say, heartbreak, etc., etc. And she always says to me, Kellyanne, things happen for you, not to you. And sometimes yeah. it just takes a while to realise that. And I think that's what's happened, hasn't it? At points throughout your career, I know you said that um, after three months of being with Corky, you know, you knew it wasn't quite for you, but you moved on with it. Can we talk about dance as a competitive sport? It's something that I've been thinking about in terms of, obviously, it's different because you're judging aesthetics. You know, it's your frame, it's how you look, it's how you can move your body, it's about the movement between you and your partner. That must make you deeply competitive, obviously, when you're when you're the best at something. But did that bring pressures with it well first of all the only pressure i ever got was pressure i put on myself as a young girl and then as i got older and then became to represent my country and then as a professional dancer then i then you feel it a lot more as a child it's just i wanted to win at everything i was doing i wanted to be the best at what i did but getting older you know i always felt within the establishment there was you had to look a certain way and back then people it's not like it is today where everybody's got to walk on an eggshell to tell you something because everything everybody takes everything the wrong way. Back then, they told you, you're too fat. You've got jiggly legs at the top. I want to see you in a pair of fishnet tights. Or when I just had my baby and I went back to dancing after six weeks, I got told, I marked your third this evening because I refuse to look at your stretch marks on your back. I find it revolting. You know, I just had a baby. But they told you as it was, and I just accepted it, moved on and got better and put cream on and covered myself up and... And did what you needed to do. But I think also for me, it's character building. You know, now people talk about even smacking children's bottoms and things like that. I can well remember getting a few from my mum. You know, and in the end, I've come out with respect. I've come out not feeling entitled. I've, I've come out with a good set of morals, you know, because of the way I was raised. And because of the pressures I chose to put myself under. And then pressures from the industry, the higher up you get. It's, it's very easy, the climb. The hard part is staying there. Yeah, it's so you understand? true. Yeah. So the climb is the exciting part. And then you get there and it's like, wow. And then you've got to sustain that. Now the pressure's really on because everybody's trying to take your position. So, yeah, I, a, a lot of pressure on myself throughout my whole life and still to this day. I've had a lot of counselling on it. It's not going to change. So I'm not even, it is what it is and that's who I am. So I never think anything I do is good enough. And there's still people to this day in my industry that will criticise. So. Can we talk about how you got onto Strictly, how that came about? That was in 2017. And for many years before that, I'd been bullied by men at the top of my industry. And I had this particular couple, we're at the very top, uh, ranked second. And Maurizio and Andra, Maurizio and Andra from Italy. And we were doing so well, they were second. And then suddenly these people called them or cornered them and told them there's nine of us in our team. There's only one of her. If you stick training with her, we'll make sure you never make it. So the boy left. So that was the start of the end, really, because I had these other 
top professionals who took this dislike to me, maybe because I worked hard, maybe because I had good, good couples in the industry, maybe because I was popular. I don't know. Maybe because I let people have their own freedom and just taught them what was my job. I never stopped anybody doing anything. And then I, the work was declining, 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 till at the point where I felt pressurized to get out of the industry, which I think is what they wanted. So I had talked to my son about, and my mum, about taking up another job, maybe keep, keep fit or any other form of something that I could earn a living from. And it was just this one particular day, my son said, why don't you try for the job on the BBC? I believe Uncle Lenny, who knew Mark before he was born and was my teacher. I've known him all my life. Why don't you go for Lenny's job? And I said, well, nobody's going to take a 57-year-old woman with no TV experience on such a beautiful show like that. He said, why don't you at least try? So off I went to England and got myself this audition, you know, which was absolutely diabolical. I sat next to a man I didn't know, which was Craig Revel Horwood, that seemed huge at the time, inside this auditorium that felt cold and freezing. And then all of a sudden they said, okay, Miss Spallis, we would like you to tell us in 20 seconds what you like or don't like about this particular couple. I'm thinking to myself, this is easy, this is easy. And they flashed Anne Whittacombe up on the screen. So it was like, what? Uh, and then it was Ed Balls. So these are memories I have. So it didn't do very well. But uh, the lovely lady gave me, Louise Rainbow gave me another opportunity the next day. And I went back with no eyelashes, just a pair of jeans and one camera. And then I smashed that one. So, yeah, it was just as I was about to go into another industry. And then this opportunity came. So it's a bit like, do I take the opportunity of trying? And if I fail, everybody's like, you know, she's not that great. Or shall I take that? So I chose to take the opportunity and see where it led me. What was it like seeing yourself on screen for the first time? Well, my son said it was scary because I have so many walls up over the years. And in our industry, when we critique somebody, there's that frown. And then there's that direct, you need to boop, 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 boop. And he said, that's never going to wash on English TV. You're going to have to learn to say your critiques with a smile. And maybe we could do it this way. And next week we could do it that way rather than that footwork sucks. You know what I mean? Which is what, how I used to get it when I was a, a young girl. So, yeah, I had a lot of help from Mark because obviously he's TV trained. You know, he's been on Broadway as a star in his own right. So he helped me and still to this day helps me. Yeah, because it must be really difficult, isn't it, when you have the eye for a professional level to give constructive criticism or feedback to a celebrity who is perhaps never danced before. So how do you how do you think you fare as a judge? What one has to remember is these celebrities, and these are my son's words, they put their shoes on for four months of the year. They'll probably never wear those high heels again. So one, it's an experience. Two, it is a dance competition, yes, but give them at least six weeks to get their techniques underneath their belt and help where you can. It's also... We love great energy on the show. We love great energy. We love entertainment. So it's not just a Latin American or a ballroom competition. It takes the whole of the human body to look at and then say, okay, I like this. Always, I can always find something I like. It's finding something that will benefit them for the next week. And that's a little bit more tricky because it has to be something fairly simple. I've got a few seconds mm. to get out something I think might help them. So I think yeah. I think over the years, well, actually, I know over the years, it's definitely gotten better since my son's like, let the walls down, always be transparent, uh, say how you feel. But, it, you know, 
make sure it's in a kind way, you know, because I, when my son was, he was British junior champion, British juvenile champion, under 21 champion, I was too strict on him. But he won everything. You understand? He had a, yeah. but sometimes I, I, I wonder, did I make it funny enough? Do you know, for him? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm a fairly strict teacher. So I have learned over the years to balance that with the fact it's a four month show. But I think I do quite well. And people go on afterwards and have a conversations with them. Some of them kept up a little bit of their dancing or they always remember yeah. their posture. So there are a few things there that uh, people remember, you know. So I would class myself as doing a pretty good job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Strictly is one of those things that viewing figures, there isn't really anything like that on television anymore. It is a show where people book an appointment to make sure that they are in their seats, ready to watch it live. And that doesn't happen. What do you think is the enduring appeal of Strictly? Well, first of all, we're like 52% share of the TV averaging. So all the people who are watching TV are watching our show. And then afterwards, streaming or whatever those things are when people play back. It used to be a video, but now it's, of course. But I, my mum sits and watches it. She is the person that's on the alarm on her phone. Strictly is about to start. And then she sits, up go the decibels. And when I come home on a Saturday, she's got those little arms folded and she's looking at me. And then she wants to ask me all sorts of questions. And I've learned a lot through listening to my mum, what she sees on screen. Because what you see on screen and what I see on screen are completely different. You're getting all the overhead where they overhead the lifts. You're getting gimbals that run around people's feet. You're getting sometimes people on top of buildings. We don't see any of that. We just see the raw footage that's right in front of us, you know, with no glitz or glamour, so to speak. It is the pure dance. And that's why it's easy to help people along the way. So I understand why the people at home say, how can that be an eight or how can that be a five? I get it because we're not actually watching the same show, are we? You're getting all everything that comes with the beauty of the evening. And and we are there to give constructive criticism to help them get better each week. And if I want to stare at their feet all the way around the dance floor, I can. You don't see that at home. No, we get a very nice glamorous view, which uh, arguably is is the view that we like to see. Um, Can we talk about Blackpool Week because and explain the importance of Blackpool to dance, but also personally for you, your kind of own history with it? I was fourth in the North of England ballroom when I was 14, semi-final in the Latin, but I remember getting that trophy fourth place I never won anything I wasn't a high flyer but I thought to myself this is a real grand feeling to be in the tower ballroom in the final and back then there was hundreds and hundreds of dancers they were all great I've been going to that ballroom since I was seven years old my one of my first holidays was to go and see the lights in Blackpool you competed at the tower ballroom until you were 16 back in the day and then you transferred to the winter gardens I know a lot of the people in Blackpool, taxi drivers, I still remember, you know, all the little houses that we used to stay in. It's just home for me. And as we now, all the couples, they look forward to, you know, movie week, musicals week, but everybody wants to get to Blackpool. Oh, oh, it's marked on their calendar. So from some people, that's a huge win to get to Blackpool, you know, and we all trolley up there. We all get up there on the trains and whatever transport that we have. And it's a real jolly weekend. You know, it's it's most fascinating. That ballroom is by far the best ballroom in the world. It has the best sprung floor you will ever, ever dance on. You will never have a knee injury on that floor. 
because it really just absorbs wow. with the body. And if you watch the judges, there's always that constant moving because the floor is moving when people are dancing fast. So it will for always and forever, Blackpool will be my home of ballroom dancing. Oh, that is so lovely. On that note, I'm going to ask my final question, which is a TV-related question. What is your snack and drink of choice whilst watching telly? I love a little bit of cheese and a cracker, but also like a little bit of coffee cake and have one cup of coffee in a tiny china cup, bone china, that has two spoons of coffee, mate, two brown sugars and decaffeinated coffee. That's my treat for the night. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Radio Times podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, darling. It was lovely. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, you might like to listen to my conversation with the creator of Bridget Jones, Helen Fielding, or my episode with documentary maker Louis Theroux. Both can be found by scrolling back through the Radio Times podcast feed. Thank you for listening to the Radio Times podcast with me, your host, Kellyanne Taylor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do follow, rate and review wherever you get your podcast from. It helps other TV and film lovers find us. Until next Tuesday, happy viewing. <laughs>